The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shops, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. Speaking to Trevor Phillips on Sky News this morning, Illegal Migration Minister Michael Tomlinson joined the Foreign Secretary in stating that Vladimir Putin was responsible for the death of his most prominent critic, Alexei Navalny. Phillips asked what more the UK could do in response to Russian aggression. Well, may I start by saying that Alexei Navalny was one of the fiercest advocates for democracy in Russia, a fierce critic of Putin, a courageous man. Any of us who are politicians in the West know the challenges that there are standing for election. But then imagine trying to do that in Russia and standing against Putin. His courage and his courageousness um, knows no bounds, knew no bounds. You're, you're right to phrase it in the way that you did. The Foreign Secretary has been very firm and robust in his condemnation and blame, frankly, of Putin for what happened. Um, You mentioned sanctions since uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, We've sanctioned 1,700 individuals uh, and entities as well. And it's right that the Foreign Secretary considers the appropriate next steps. Uh, I noticed that you uh, picked up the word that I used, uh, execution. You are clear that this is something that happened at the behest of the Kremlin. It's very clear, as the Foreign Secretary said, to lay the blame at the door of Putin. As I said, Alexei Navalny was a courageous politician. All of us who stand for politics in the West know how hard and how challenging that is. But imagine how challenging that is to try and stand up to Putin. The the Foreign Secretary, in my view, is absolutely correct to lay the blame firmly at Putin's door. Well, what, what are we going to do about it? What, uh, what, what are we uh, able to do that we are not already doing in terms of sanctions, punishment of uh, Putin himself? What would we actually do? Well, in terms of what we are already doing, there, there are, there's sanctions that the Foreign Secretary has spoken about. I told no, you... I, I mean, I t- what more could we do? That doesn't seem to have had any uh, discouraging effect on uh, Putin thus far. Well, in terms of what has happened, this is robust action. Uh, Sanctioning 1,700 individuals and entities is robust action that we have taken. The Foreign Secretary has said that he will look to see what more can be done. And don't forget what we're doing in Ukraine and to support Ukraine as well. It's incredibly important. The 2.5 billion that we're putting towards uh, the effort in Ukraine, we're encouraging our allies, our NATO allies, to ensure that they spend their 2% um, early to make sure that we support what is going on in Ukraine. This is positive action that we are taking to stand up to Putin. Laura Koonsberg spoke to Evgenia Karamurza, whose husband is also imprisoned in Russia for opposing the Ukraine war. Koonsberg asked Karamurza if Navalny's death has made her more afraid for her husband's safety. I was horrified, but not surprised. Because... uh... The use of political assassination as a method of dealing with uh, opponents has been there for, uh, well, for the entire rule of Vladimir Putin. 
He's been using this method um, since early 2000s. This was a murder uh, for which Vladimir Putin is responsible. All that impunity that lasted for decades led him to believe that he's somehow untouchable. And for as long as he's sitting in the Kremlin unchecked, we will see more warmonging, we will see more repression, and we will see more deaths. You told us in June you feared for your husband's life. Has what's happened in the last couple of days increased that sense of foreboding? I have been afraid for my husband's life since at least 2015. Since that first call that I received about Vladimir collapsing in Moscow and going into coma with a multiple organ failure. For no reason at all. An absolutely healthy, healthy man with no medical conditions whatsoever, just collapsing and going into a coma with a multiple organ failure. I've been sleeping with my phone since dreading yet another call of that sort. I believe that my husband's life is in danger, as are lives of many other political prisoners in Russian prisons, because these people are kept behind bars um, very often with serious medical conditions, with no proper medical treatment, and they're kept in such conditions uh, in order to make their state of health deteriorate. The Conservatives suffered another two bruising by-election defeats this week in what were previously safe seats. Trevor Phillips asked Michael Tomlinson if the Reform Party's record vote share was evidence that the public think the government has failed to tackle illegal immigration. You've, you took a beating, really, in the two by-elections in Kingswood and Wellingborough. Um, perhaps the most telling outcome of those uh, contests was the record level vote for the Reform Party, which basically has only one policy, stop immigration. Um, you are the Minister for Immigration. Isn't this concrete evidence that the voters think that you're failing? Well, let me deal with the by-elections first of all and then come on to immigration. In terms of the by-elections, you're right, they're a very difficult set of circumstances, the elections, and you're right about reform. What people saw is if you vote for reform, you get Labour and you go back to square one. On immigration, we've seen actually progress that we've been making last year. Uh, small boat crossings down by a third, 16,000 fewer people making that crossing. I was over in France 48 hours ago speaking to our French uh, allies and counterparts and seeing on the ground the work that they are doing to stop the boats. I was there when a boat was seized from a car, um, stopping and preventing yet another crossing. We must strain every sinew. The Prime Minister has okay. charged me with the task and the job of stopping the boats, and that's what I'm getting on with doing. Uh, can, can I just ask you one thing? On this show, we, we try to avoid political code. What is square one? When you say we go back to square one, what is that? Well, in my view, it's even worse than square one because Keir Starmer's been voting against the very legislation that we've been bringing in. Let me give you a concrete example. Sorry, what... Well, let, 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 me, let me tell you, in, in terms, the Nationalities and Borders Act that we brought in that, that enables us to prosecute those who are trafficking, the human smugglers, those who are, who are pursuing this vile trade, we are now prosecuting them in their hundreds and they're being sentenced to hundreds of hours imprisonment thanks yeah. to the measures that we brought in that were, in fact, blocked, I... that were attempted to be blocked, they were voted against um, by okay. Labour. So that, that's what I mean by going back to square one. Every <laughs> single measure that we have brought in has been opposed by Labour. That's what I mean by going back to square one. If I, if I may say so, though, the, <laughs> the problem is, um, whichever square it is, uh, the voters blame 
you for where we are right now. You've been in power for 40 years. Um, and they were pretty clear in these two by-elections. Uh, half of those who didn't vote for you, who'd previously voted for the Tories in 2019, uh, voted for Labour. But the other half voted for reform. Now, maybe the first half want to go back to this square one that you talk about, but the other half want uh, something different, something tougher on immigration. Which half are you going to respond to? Well, in terms of my portfolio, in terms of immigration and the measures that we are taking, we are taking and introducing the most robust um, illegal migration legislation that's ever been put before Parliament. This is a concrete evidence of what we're doing. Yeah, you'll see, you'll, well, Trevor, well, Trevor, you'll see tomorrow that the Rwanda bill is back in Parliament. It was actually during recess. It was in the House of Lords for two days. It's back in Parliament tomorrow. It's got another committee day that it's going through. And we're making sure that we can bring in so, the Rwanda so, plan so that the flights can take off. That is so, my Job. So, that so, is my responsibility. After Rochdale Labour candidate Azar Ali apologised for his comments suggesting Israel deliberately allowed the October the 7th Hamas attacks in order to carry out its own military attack on Gaza, Labour initially said it had accepted his retraction. 48 hours later, they removed him as a candidate. On GB News, Camilla Tomini asked Labour MP Nick Thomas Simmons if he regretted initially defending Ali. You were dragged onto the airwaves to defend Azhar Ali last week, and I'm wondering whether you regret that now, considering what we now know. I mean, I can't really understand why you felt you could defend him when he had said the indefensible about Israel, but do you now regret it? Look, I couldn't have and didn't know what subsequently came out uh, later that day, but... Wasn't uh, what he said enough to condemn him? Well, what, what he said was appalling, and I made that absolutely clear when I was speaking about this on Monday. But what I, I and we had listened to were hugely respected, prominent people in the Jewish community who spoke about the history that that candidate, former candidate now, had had in actually standing beside people against mm. anti-Semitic attacks. And it also given what appeared to be a genuine apology and a recognition of rebuilding uh, bridges. But the the assessment that we were given that this was out of character, as soon as it became clear that mm. there was another incident, this wasn't out of character, then clearly the very difficult decision had to be taken. And I say difficult, Camilla, because it's a huge decision to have a by-election with no supported Labour candidate, which is what we have. But Well, I know, but you, you didn't do your due over... diligence on vetting him, did you? I mean, most people saw the situation last week. I spoke to Pat McFadden, a colleague of yours, you know, he's a very straight-talking, sort of no-nonsense type of politician. He's there defending this guy. Everyone else is watching and listening to the programme thinking, how could you even... You should, he should have been sacked immediately. He was basically peddling sort of conspiracy theories that the Israelis brought the October the 7th attack on themselves so that they could attack Gaza. I mean, it's the stuff of sort of Twitter lunacy. It's appalling. And, and, I, and I made that clear, as did Pat McFadden uh, last week. It was the, the point that we were told this, this was something that was out of character. As soon as it became clear there was another incident, the decision had to be taken. But Camilla, this was a decision taken over 48 hours. We're talking about a matter of hours here. Mm. That decision uh, has firmly been taken. And there is no doubt that there is a real change that's been led by Keir Starmer dealing with anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. And it's not just 
taking my word for it. That's what the EHRC has said by yes. taking the Labour Party out of special measures last year in recognition of the yeah. changes Keir Starmer has made to our systems. Finally, after Scottish Labour backed a motion calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza, Laura Koonsberg asked Shadow Foreign Secretary David Lammy if Labour would do the same in Westminster. Let's talk about a different part of the world then, what's happening in the Middle East right now. There's another vote coming up in the Commons this week calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Now, Labour in Scotland backed that yesterday. What is wrong with that position and will Labour support support that motion in the Commons this week? Well, we all want to see an end to the fighting. It must stop. Over 28,000 people have lost their lives, women and children. You know, one of my children uh, is adopted. 17,000 orphans now um, in Gaza. It's just, it's abominable. Uh, So, of course, people want to see a ceasefire. The question now is how. And to be absolutely clear that when that ceasefire comes, we can't see the fighting restart. So will you vote for it in the House of Commons this week? that's why I've been here with... That's why I've been here with Keir Starmer, speaking to the Saudi Arabians, the Qataris, European uh, allies. I haven't seen the motion. It's not yet put down. Uh, We will scrutinise that motion, uh, as is our way in Parliament. That will come in on uh, Monday, I suspect, Tuesday, and we will take it from there. But look, let us be clear. Yes, we will have a vote in Parliament this week, but it's not that vote that will bring about a ceasefire. It's the diplomatic action. It's Hamas. It's Benjamin Netanyahu. uh, It's partners for peace saying the fighting must now stop. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Joe Bidell Brill. Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffeehouse Shops podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week. (laughs) 